Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast, brought to you by the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the land you love. This podcast is the place to find your community, get inspired to take action for the Idaho you love, and hear stories from real people who are making a difference to our amazing state of Idaho. Welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Hopkins, and I'm really glad you can be here to join us. In this episode, I sit down and talk with Ben Otto, Idaho Conservation League's Energy Associate. Now, Ben works on a ton of stuff for ICL, and so you're going to hear his voice pop up quite a bit in these podcasts. But in this episode, we're going to focus specifically on the Climate Summit that we've attended this past week, as well as touch a little bit on some of the work that Ben does around all things energy-related and how it ties to climate change and the work that we're doing. So without further ado, here's the interview that I did with Ben Otto. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with Ben Otto, Idaho Conservation League's Energy Associate, and him and I have just been at the Climate Summit uh, here in Boise, Idaho, though it's been broadcasted statewide to Pocatello and Moscow and Ashton, Idaho. We had about 500 participants. What did you think? What are your thoughts? What are the takeaways? <laughs> I That was the most amazing conversation about climate that I've seen in Idaho since I moved here mm. uh, eight years ago and started doing this work. Uh, the evolution in the level of conversation, who's included in the conversation, who's admitting that the climate is changing and is taking action around that. Uh, when I started this eight years ago, it was kind of a dirty word. And even among the conservation groups, we were nervous to say the word climate change. Yeah. And today we saw HP, a major corporate citizen, standing up and saying, like, the climate is changing. Our customers are demanding that we take action. Our investors are demanding that we take action. Mm-hmm. You know, Cliff Bar was astonishing what they're doing across the, the whole company. The five spokes, like the planet and, and communities and people are very much an integral part of their business model, including like their product and their business. I thought that was kind of interesting how... Yeah. It was cool. Like You could imagine a nonprofit group putting that up mm-hmm. as their guiding principle. And this is like a for-profit company that's making a lot of money, right? And they're making a lot of money because they have this five-spoke wheel mm-hmm. of sustainability, dealing with their water, zero waste streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when we know that we are not officially endorsed by Cliff Bar, even though we're like <laughs> we very hope to impressed. Be, why not? Yeah, <laughs> even though we're very impressed with their tactics. Yeah, but it speaks to the power of the summit that we were just at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I thought was interesting? That I didn't quite notice this until someone pointed it out. But we never had a climate one hundred and one. No one got up and like, hey, here's greenhouse gases. Here's like. It was just widely accepted. And this, and you kind of hinted at this, but the folks in the room, it wasn't just a group of, of scientists or NGOs who already know and understand climate change. It, it was a very diverse group. And the starting point was this was happening. What are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Like, I, I think we moved. Sometimes you kind of want to pull your hair out because you think people don't believe. But that room today, over the past two days, we've moved past that first hurdle of like people get it and it's it's affecting their bottom line and they want to do something about it. Yeah, I'd say enough people get it that we can now start the conversation from the premise mm-hmm. that the climate is changing mm-hmm. due to things humans are doing, and now we need to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't necessarily true a couple of years ago, 
but enough of mainstream Idaho and our country has decided that we're not going to have a political argument anymore about science. We're going to go back to a fact argument about mm-hmm. what we see and observe, what we're hearing from our customers, what we're hearing from our investors, what we as a nonprofit are hearing from our members that's super important to them uh, that groups like ICL are working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very important. And it's important that that change is there. We can start from the just everybody understands, yeah, climate's changing. It's happening. We're going to have to now act. Yeah. And so what are we going to do? And that's so much more interesting. Yeah. You know, because that's at the Conservation League, that's what we're about. It's finding solutions, taking actions, uh, educating people about their opportunities. That's what I heard a lot about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought an, an interesting component was there's a lot of discussion around risk, and there's the risk of not doing anything, or, or how do they characterize it? There's the risk of climate change, like the physical, you know, flooding, hurricanes, wildfires, mm-hmm. like the, the physical risk. And then there's the risk of what, there's all these opportunities from the business sector associated with this. And what's the risk if we don't take advantage of that? How much money, how much time, how much yeah. business share are we going to lose? And, uh, you know, I'm not a business person, so I, I don't always think about those things. But you could tell that resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, it's the, it's the risk of not acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my job at the Conservation League is I'm the energy associate. So I work on influencing our energy providers, our electricity providers, like Idaho Power or Vista or Rocky Mountain, and our energy regulators, the Public Utilities Commission. And over the last eight years, when I go in and argue for policies to reduce fossil fuel emissions, to move to clean energy, to move towards efficiency, I've been met with, well, that's risky that we move in that direction. And today that conversation changed a little bit. It's more along the lines of, it's risky if we don't move in that direction. Hmm. And that was super interesting to think about. You know, it made me think, maybe I've been talking about this the wrong way in the past. And maybe when I go to the policymakers, I can reframe the whole conversation around, I'm the one trying to move us away from risk. Mm. I'm not causing you to change in a way that's uncertain or ask you for charity. I'm here promoting policies that will make our environment more healthy, our economy more healthy, uh, protect the air we breathe and the water that we drink. And the things I'm asking our policymakers to do are a way to make Idaho safer, mm-hmm. uh, to make it less uncertain. Um, I've always believed that in my head. And so it's been hard for me to go into these venues and, and try to word it differently and, and ask people to be bold and step out. And it's been intellectually hard for me. And so now I'm like kind of excited that it gets to be a little bit easier because I can kind of speak what I actually believe is that by taking action to address climate change, to reduce fossil fuels, uh, that's just the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's our obligation as humans. And instead of trying to trick people into it, you get to be super honest about it. That's the right thing to do because it makes financial sense and it makes environmental sense and it makes moral sense. So Mm -hmm. those now three things are aligned and it gives you a lot of power going forward. So when you're in these meetings, 
do you do you what what argument do you lead with because there is being our energy associate yeah. there's a lot of pros to what you're proposing you know cleaner mm-hmm. air healthier streams uh you know renewable energy lower cost um you know more money for businesses to make what what do you lead with do you go in there saying like this is best for the environment and that's why you should do it or is it more the economics case um or do you change it up uh you you change it up your audience matters right Mm. so you want to speak in about an issue and a solution that resonates with the audience that you're talking to and often the audience i'm talking to is the public utilities commission so this is the state agency that controls how our utilities spend money and if hydropower wants to spend a dollar, they can't. They can do it, but in order to do it in a way that's not risky for them, they want their state regulators to say, "Give the blessing." Yeah, that's okay. Spend your dollar in this bucket, not that bucket. My goal is always going in there: environmental protection, clean air, clean water, stopping climate change, giving uh, the environment and uh, species the habitats that they need. But if I go into the Utilities Commission and frame the argument that way, their response is, that's not our job. Our job is to make sure people have affordable, reliable electricity. And that's a very much an economics and engineering frame. Mm. So the audience there, that's what they care about. They, don't, they could personally care about clean air, but their job is not to worry about that. That's DEQ's job, to worry about clean air. Mm-hmm. The price regulators, as I call them, the Public Utilities Commission, all they care about are dollars and cents and reliability. So I've had to learn how do I achieve my environmental goals by using the language of economics and engineering. Because uh, that's just what that audience responds to. Hmm. And that's their charge. It's not, they're not being nefarious. That's their mission that they've been charged with by the legislature. Look at the economics. Look at the engineering. So they're just doing their job, and I'm trying to meet them there and show them how to do their job in a way that gets us what we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um, it reminds me of you know when we talk about having value based discussions and find out what what people value and talk about something you care about in terms of their values. And if you you know consider the PUC a person, they value dollars and cents and economics, and so yeah. it makes sense that that's that's the language you use. Um, yeah. and it's great that it benefits the environment. <laughs> Right. That's that's why we're winning. Is uh, more and more we're seeing that our. So if you imagine a coal plant, it's out there. Idaho gets forty to sixty percent of our electricity from coal plants out of state. Uh, the balance is a lot of hydropower in the state, and we're seeing more and more renewables on the system. But the assumption's always been that coal's really cheap. And now, when we look at the numbers, it's just not. It's just more expensive. Uh, renewables are incredibly cheap these days. Solar's uh, definitely cheaper. Is that just like tons of people have started making solar panels, so that's yeah. how they got cheap? Yeah, it's just standard technological evolution. So the technology of researchers and, and um, company R&D, government lab R&D has just driven up the performance and driven the cost down. And then as companies start to roll 
these projects out in states that either have really strong incentives or the market's a little bit different, they learn how to build these projects better and better and better and drive the cost down. Hmm. Um, it's just normal technological evolution. Hmm. And what we're really seeing now is at the same time, coal is getting more and more expensive. And some of that's the market and some of that is advocacy hmm. that we're doing. Like we are preventing the utilities from hiding the cost that they can hide in their books. I mean, I get a case gets filed and I get a box, you know, that's uh, with five four-inch tall binders full of paper. For, so for context for folks listening, Ben just pointed to, I don't know, what's this, like a four-foot by three-foot closet stacked with looks like legal briefings or something. Um, I take it you get a lot of boxes. <laughs> I get a lot of boxes. I get an unbelievable amount of paper and buried on page like 4,000 of some spreadsheet is a proposal to install some pollution controls on a coal plant. Hmm. And so you dig through all that stuff and you find it and you're like, why are they spending all this money? Uh, and so we had a recent case. So we just got to work uh, on something with the coal strip plant up in Montana. It's a giant coal plant out in Montana. Uh, owned by a bunch of different utilities. And Avista is, serves North Idaho and Eastern Washington. And they own like 10 or 15% of this total plant. And they buried in their papers were spent a couple million dollars on this pollution control project at a, at a plant. And typically you'd think the Conservation League would show up and be like, great, we, we, we love this pollution control. Who doesn't love pollution control? Yeah, we, we want cleaner air. And one way to get cleaner air is you control the pollution from your plant. But when we looked carefully at it, we realized uh, this control was just controlling one little type of pollution, nitrogen oxide. It didn't do anything about carbon pollution, about the things that are changing our climate. Hmm. Uh, and so we don't want just one pollutant to be controlled. We want all of the pollutants to be controlled. Uh, and then we looked at it and saw this thing's really expensive. Hmm. And no one had asked whether just turning off the plant and finding a replacement would be cheaper than running the coal plant just a slightly little bit less dirty. So that's your option. You can have a coal plant and it's can be a tiny little bit cleaner, or we can turn that thing off and get the same electricity with no pollution. Mm. And so that's the kind of thing we focus on, using, uh, looking at the economics and, and the engineering and illuminating that choice so that the price regulators can make a decision based on those factors, but the impact is a giant change in air quality. We don't ask them to make an air quality decision. We ask them to make an economic decision that results in much better air quality. And that's how an environmental group has to address the, the causes of climate change, uh, the bleeding that is coming from fossil fuels and uh, natural gas and coal. Um, and we'll see. I mean, we just filed it. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, it was, it was an interesting project and a way to do this work in what might be a less than intuitive way for an environmental group to attack something. You mentioned um, 
so th this is a, a coal, coal plant in Montana we're the Idaho Conservation League. So that I'm assuming you have some partners. Like, is this just you or, or who, who are the ones that, that kind of help you pour over this? And any, yeah. any people that we need to be on our bus or can't do this without? Or Yeah, for sure. So this uh, the plant is in Montana, but since Avista is a company that serves Idaho, we can make this conversation decision happen in our state. Mm. Uh, but we definitely work with our partners. So in Montana, there's a really important partner, the Montana Environmental Information Center. And so they're dealing with these impacts in their state, in their communities. And we share information about what they're seeing. Uh, they're often kind of the first group and people to see some of these projects being proposed or being installed and, and a lot of the local air quality impacts. And so they share information with us because Avista doesn't operate Montana. A Montana state group and a Montana state regulator doesn't have a chance to weigh in about this project, hmm. even though it's in their state. Wow. That's and it's just just because our whole electric grid is all wired together across the whole West. And so we don't have the opportunity to just be state by state. We have to look across the region and work with partners. Another essential partner is the National Sierra Club, who is just going around the country and shutting down coal plants in every state in the union. It's super impressive what they can do. Nice. Uh, and so what we do is we kind of find the issue and we build it up and we get everybody focused on it and, and get it to a decision point. And then we contact our, our friends at the National Club and say, okay, we, we got a decision that we're about to make. Can you come in with some extra horsepower, with some very fancy experts to help push it over the edge? Nice. But they don't have, they're busy doing, pushing everybody over the edge in every other state. And our job is to kind of bring everybody to the brink. <laughs> and, uh, and it's fun. It's fun to do. And so, yeah, this is definitely a team effort. Uh, but the Conservation League has a key role in there and kind of, like I said, bringing it up to the brink of a decision. Mm -hmm. and then doing our part to push it over the edge and then bringing in some extra weight to help toss it over. How, what sort of timeline are we talking Like, is, is this something you do in like a year? or I mean, what, how long from when you first start working on a process to when you call the National Sierra Club? It, 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 is it, it different? It can vary. Yeah, it can vary across states. So uh, the Coal Strip one, um, you know, the Montana groups, they've been working on this for five years or ten years. Hmm. Um, we at the Conservation League have been looking at Avista in earnest a couple years. Um, but this specific project actually moved pretty quick, uh, maybe a one-year time frame. Okay. There's a different example of Idaho Power, which serves the southern half of our state. So this isn't your first rodeo. Not my first <laughs> rodeo. Uh, so Idaho Power is kind of our incumbent utility. They serve like 65% of Idaho. Um, they're headquartered in Boise. I mean, they're the big dog around here. And they had a plant uh, called North Valmy coal plant over in Nevada. And that's one where we spent, we were the main group kind of seeing some problems. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody lives out in this thing. There wasn't a local group that could see the impacts because it's literally in the middle of the desert. Mm. And there's like 20 people who work at this thing. Um, but we could see the impacts in some air quality data and in some economics data. And that project, I spent four or five years trying to get that 
to question about whether to keep operating Valmy or not, to kind of get everybody paying attention about to that question, to get uh, other other electricity customers to start wondering why are we spending all this money on this plant in Nevada? Um, so over several years, kind of kept pushing the issue, kept illuminating it for other customer groups, for our state regulators, and got it up to kind of the, the decision-making point. And then the, they called our partners over at the National Club, and they came in and spent about three months working on, on that issue, and we were able to negotiate a settlement in that case, mm. kind of find some common ground among the utility and the regulators about how do we have a transition that makes sense. And that was a great result. A lot of people didn't think that plant was going to go down. It was not in anybody's target. Uh, that was one that we found and thought, you know, I, I think this should be a target. Mm-hmm. And uh, made that happen. So you get after these things in a couple different ways. Wow. But the key is that if we're going to protect the place that we love, we have to remove fossil fuels mm-hmm. from our energy system. Um, you know, and that you, you have a really interesting analogy of, with... Uh, kind of comparing your work and removing fossil fuels and and kind of comparing that to a doctor or a medical <laughs> practitioner. Um, I was wondering if you could share kind of your how you contextualize that with the broader work that ICL, all ICL staff work on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, make a little graphic for our listeners, so just bear with me here. But this all, is the disclosure part. <laughs> we're all grown-ups. Not too bad. But uh, if you think of climate change in Idaho as causing wounds on our natural environment. So fish require cold water, and a warming climate makes it hard for bull trout to have the water they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, climate change causing more forest fires. That's speak, thinking back at the climate summit, we heard loud and clear that Idaho scientists are very convinced that we're going to see a lot more forest fires, a lot bigger forest fires from a changing climate. Think of those as, as kind of cuts and bleeding. So our natural environment is wounded. And um, so what do you want to do? You want to stop the bleeding. You want to heal that wound. And so a lot of our public lands and wildlife work is concentrated on that. How do we ensure that protected landscapes are connected? So animals can travel back and forth and find the niche they need, that our forests are resilient so that they're not as, a wildfire isn't as threatening to them or doesn't spread as fast. And that's really about stopping the bleeding from climate change that's happening. But any good doctor knows that if somebody just keeps getting cuts and wounds, like something else is going on, uh, what's the cause of the bleeding? So not just fixing the, the consequence, but addressing the root cause. And stopping the fossil fuels is about stopping the, stopping the bleeding, stopping the cutting from happening, not fixing it after the fact. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we're in a state in our world where it's very important to do both. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the league does. We work very hard to both address consequences that are happening on the landscape, and they're going to happen regardless of what we do, but also stopping the further bleeding. Mm-hmm. And that's the getting the fossil fuels out. Mm-hmm. So I guess... You know, this has been a great kind of like, 
primer. I know you do so much work, so it's hard to like <laughs> sit down and capture all of that. But I guess the the last question here, wrapping this up, what what's your fifteen year outlook? Are are you super optimistic? Are you pessimistic? I mean, what is the ICL Energy Associate perspective on on where we're heading in Idaho? Yeah, well, I, uh, the way I get through my work is relentless optimism. Uh, that's just what it takes for me to get up every day and walk into rooms where I'm often the only voice speaking for the environment. Mm. And you just have to stay optimistic. Um, but lately, I it's much easier to be optimistic. That's good. Um, the conference today was a great example. We saw business leaders and citizens and Idaho scientists standing up and kind of saying the same messages, articulating our same goals that we have. And I really see that as a, a, a real watershed moment in our state. And I don't want to, like, I'm not one for hyperbole. I don't want to oversell that. But it really was really meaningful to me. And so we're going to capture that momentum. We... We know how to close coal plants using the arguments and the evidence of economics and engineering. And we're going to continue to do that. We know how to get more clean energy onto the system in a way that protects wildlife and landscapes. And we're going to continue to see that happening even more. The big one is transportation. Because uh, gasoline cars, diesel cars, that's actually our biggest climate pollutant in the state of Idaho. Mm. But because we're getting so good at cleaning up the electric system, we have a giant opportunity to move transportation into an electric fuel instead of an oil-based fuel and really clean up that aspect of our system so we can clean the grid and electrify everything. And over the next 10 years, I mean, that's what we're going to be working on. And because the technology's in place, the economics are lining up, people are paying attention that they're willing to take some risks. Like those, not take some risks, they're willing to seize the opportunity. They see the risk of not taking action. Those factors just give me a lot of hope that this is definitely something we can do. It's gonna be hard and it's gonna take a long time, but we're clearly on the downhill slope at this point. Nice. That, that sounds optimistic. <laughs> I like mean, I said, relentless yeah. optimism. Even if that's you weren't forcing it, that sounds, that sounds very optimistic to me. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm quite bullish now. It, it, it's amazing to see what's going on in our country. Uh, one last thing I'll add is a lot of people were disappointed by the presidential election, mm. and you, it should be. I mean, the federal government is doing an about-face on a lot of progress they're making, and it's sad. But cities are stepping into the void and providing that leadership. And what we heard today was a lot of businesses are stepping into the void. And that's also motivating citizens to actually engage and take action. So we're seeing a lot more people reach out to the league and want to join and want to support us. And that is a way that you can fight back against something that is kind of a bummer. And One of the big takeaways from the Climate Summit is, you know, whether it's with the Conservation League, with another group, but it was just getting involved. Yeah. Um, and I think that was huge, you know, don't sit idle at home and just be angry, get out and join, a, join a group and participate and be active, I think is great remedies for dealing with, uh, 
our current situation. Yeah, yeah. If you sit home and, and feel disappointed and don't do anything, then they've won. Yeah. But you have the opportunity. Every time you stand up, every time you flip a switch, every time you speak out is your opportunity to not let them win and to be sure that we win and the environment wins. Nice. Well, with that, thank you so much for taking the time. Ben Otto, ICL's energy associate, also known as Captain Kilowatt and our climate hero. So, yeah, thanks, man. All right, thanks, Austin. Like I said at the beginning of this, Ben does a ton of work for ICL, so you're going to have plenty of opportunities to learn more about the work that he does. Um, But with that, that concludes another episode of the Wild Idaho podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. hope you learned something new. And and I hope, yeah, I hope you're excited for all the work that we're doing here at ICL related to not only energy, but climate change. Once again, to got to thank our members. Uh, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our members. So if you're a member of ICL, thank you so much. And if not, be sure to check us out, idahoconservation.org. That's our website. You can learn about all the work that we're doing and learn more about what it is to be a member of the Idaho Conservation League. And better yet, come to some of our events and talk to us in person. It's the, the best thing uh, you can do to learn more about the work that we do. And all of us love talking about it. So, so with that, we're signing off on another episode. Take care, everyone. Bye.